Hey, I'm Amar Chauhan. And I'm Charlotte Williams. Thanks for tuning in to Love, Hate, Create. We speak to the smartest people from across the advertising industry to find out what they love about it, what they hate, and what change they want to create. Today we have Ambika Pai on Love, Hate, Create. Ambika is the Chief Strategy Officer at Mechanism. Prior to Mechanism, she's worked at agencies such as Mother, BBH, and Wolf and Wilhelmina. She's also an avid writer. She writes about the intersection of motherhood, mental health, equity, and business. And she has a newsletter called Corner Office Breakdowns, which is all about destigmatizing emotion in the workplace. She's an incredibly refreshing and thought-provoking voice in our industry. And uh, she's also been writing a book. So if there are any publishers out there that want to pick her up after listening to this podcast, drop us a line because I'm sure she would be willing and interested to talk to you. But for now, let's go. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Ambika. Thank you. Thank you for that subtle, not so subtle plug. I appreciate (laughs) it. (laughs) Free of charge. (laughs) Great to see you, Ambika. So I'm going to kick off. Um, with a few questions. I mean, firstly, you do a lot, right? You've got a you've got a big job. You've got a couple of side gigs. You're a mother of young um, young ones. Tell us what drives you. What really drives all of that? I mean, it might sound cheesy, but I think what drives me is um, the optimism that we can change the world. <laughs> And I believe that, you know, that's actually what's kept me in advertising as well is I am very idealistic and I romanticize the industry to the extent where I truly believe we are the people with um, the brains and the megaphones to really shift perspectives out there. And I've been fortunate that some of the work I've been able to do has started conversations like that. Um, but I can't say... I'm in an easy phase of life by any means. Um, I have a two and a half year old. I have a six month old. I'm trying to write a lot because I'm really passionate about it. But I also love strategy, like truly love. And people think I'm being cheeky or sarcastic, but I think it's the best job in the world. And so everything in my life just requires a lot of passion and investment and yeah, it's it's tough. It's yeah. tough. Mm-hmm. But you're still going. And tell us, um, I guess a couple of icebreaker questions. Yeah. What would you say your proudest moment to date has been in your career? Um, and what has been your lowest moment? So I would say my proudest moment in my career has been um, when we launched the Freedom Mom Breast Care work. Um, It was the first time lactating breasts were ever shown on television. The team worked with NBC to adjust the guidelines for nudity and censorship to make it happen. Um, And it is just, it's a beautiful film. Uh, We cast, uh, we cast women at nine months pregnant so that when we were shooting, they would actually be breastfeeding their babies Um, And everything about that experience was just so um, 
fulfilling and validating. I had just come back from having my first and was literally drinking those disgusting lactation teas like during our meetings. Um, and it, you know, that work, I think, you know, it was called a rebirth of motherhood and advertising. And I swear I want to like graffiti that on my walls as my North Star. That's um, incredible. It was so meaningful. Smashing up those taboos, breaking down the taboos, I mean, and, and, and really, yeah, changing culture, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And what about your low? You know, I, like probably all of us, came up when this industry was very different. I think the industry has evolved a lot um, in many ways. I think COVID obviously put us in a different world of work and personal life and um, the Me Too moment, the Me Too movement. Uh, I actually, I dealt with a lot of um, sexual harassment in my career Um kind of microaggressions based on race where I was like the Indian girl who should be good at numbers and who works really hard but doesn't ask for anything beyond that um and I'm you know a younger woman and I remember once um the amazing Valerie Wynn um who is now the CSO at Decoded and I were at Ken and um somebody basically asked us whose assistants we were um and so okay no it oh it was reply just out of interest i honestly don't know i think i've blocked it out yeah and then people would be like oh you two are you know young exotic women you must get a lot like just crazy crazy comments because we're both women of color um and they're like you must drum up a lot of business and we were like well, we're also fucking smart and we're really good at what we do. And second of all, never speak to somebody in that way. Yeah. Um, and so it was I, this. This was 2018. Oh, my gosh. Like not even that long ago. A long time ago at all. So it's, you know, I think we we have a lot of work that we can continue to do. I think a lot of work has been done. I think having many more women leaders in the workforce has um, kind of pushed some of the bad behaviors of the past truly into the past. Um, but we don't know what happens behind closed doors. And we don't know what happens in private conversations. And we don't know what's said when we leave our, our little conference rooms, Zoom rooms. Um, so I think there's also some deconditioning that needs to be done. Even if behavior has been fixed, I don't know if mindsets have really truly been fixed yet. And the Me Too movement, which was obviously huge in advertising, wasn't yeah. it? It was a real landmark moment. The floodgates really did open. Do, do you feel like that has shifted the industry and shifted behavior? In I do. Industry? I do. Good. Um, and I'm very proud and grateful to say that and you know the me too movement in advertising there was some drama associated with it about like can freelancers be like just crazy little nitty-gritty things um that sort of made the movement itself get lost in the sauce of drama um 
but I, I truly believe it made a difference. And I think the biggest difference it made is giving women, um, not the permission, but the option of actually opening up. Um, I never talked about the breadth of things I had been through until kind of that marked Me Too mo movement. And now, you know, it's a big part of the book, as um, Amar mentioned. And what I write about is women in the workforce and, and how to adapt the workforce to suit women, not change women to fit into the workforce. How to make it work for women. Mm-hmm. Because it's not at all right now. That's a that's a real low. That's a real low. And you're one of the people that were able to come out and talk about talk about it after the movement kind of kicked mm -hmm. off. But there are still so many others that that aren't comfortable, right, and aren't able right. to. Whether that be because of gagging orders or just because they can't bring themselves because of the uh, the fear of embarrassment. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, long may the, the the force continue to just stamp it out and not not give people a. Uh, women a reason um, to have to come out about these things. Mm -hmm. Lifting the mood slightly then. I know, we started off very dark. The only way is up, right? <laughs> only way is up. We started high with lactating breasts and then took <laughs> we a, did. We took a detour. <laughs> we're coming back around. It's okay. We're going to go up and down throughout. Yeah, undulating. <laughs> Good word. So tell us what you love about this industry then. Oh, man. I I think I have a love-hate, as the name of the podcast, relationship with this industry. You know, I'm not the person who goes around flaunting like I work in advertising because, you know, there are layers of, of capitalism <laughs> certainly embedded in this industry. Um, but I love strategy. And I think... What this industry does do is it attracts curious, restless, passionate, smart people. And those are, in my book, the best kind of people. The people who are always in a growth mindset, extremely open-minded, willing to change the ways they think um, to create, you know, this incredible work Um that can really shift the way people think. And I've seen it happen. So I love kind of the thinkers that come into advertising, but I also love the thinkers that advertising creates. You know, these are people who don't just rest on their laurels. They're really going out and trying to do something. Um, and I believe that even more so about strategists. And, you know, some of my best friends, as I'm sure you, you both have too, like some of my best, best friends are from jobs I've had in this industry and god forbid nobody should be pulling all-nighters anymore because we all know we're not in the business of saving people but you know early in my career these were people who I was working with on pitches till 3 a.m in a conference room and you know drinking whiskey and those are beautiful memories even though they're um, indicators of horrible work culture uh, so I think, you know, the people in this industry are just exceptional and the impact we have the ability to have if we apply ourselves in the right way is just, it's breathtaking, right? And it's amazing, isn't it, sometimes how actually horrible 
work cultures is such a bonding experience oh yeah trauma bonds trauma bonds all the way <laughs> yeah exactly so you've been at mechanism what four and a half five years now yeah yeah how would you describe your your colleagues there then what's the what's the mechanism person look like i cannot believe i'm still drinking the mechanism kool-aid i'm like usually a person who after a few years, I mean, and given I've had some terrible experiences that have made me move on from certain jobs, but, you know, after two years, I start to get the itch and I'm like, what else, you know, like what other clients, what other brands, what other thinking, what other categories, which I also think is kind of inherent to an advertising mindset of what next, what next, which is a double-edged sword. Um, but mechanism used to be an independent agency we actually just joined um plus company which is a new holding company um but what i loved about it when i joined and why i've stayed is there is a humility and a groundedness and a humanity at the company so i again you know right before mechanism i was um running alongside three other incredible women, a company called Wolf and Wilhelmina. We were a strategy shop. And, you know, we had these amazing um, parameters around work. So we had a rule called seven Saturdays. After seven every day, we were not allowed to send emails. And we were very open about it. We talked about it with our clients and our clients were like, thank you. This actually helps me draw boundaries. Um. And mechanism has that sort of um, life-centric approach to work. Um, the whole leadership team, when I started, were parents. And I wasn't a parent at that point. So I didn't fully understand how um, big that empathy is among people who you know are either in a similar life stage or have been in your life stage or have made similar choices to you um and so you know our ceo jason harris who's like a dear friend and an amazing boss um you know was like oh I, i'm coaching soccer tonight i can't do any meetings um oh like i'm taking the kids to school my son has a dentist appointment and just having the ability to yeah. say I have life going on and I can't do work is shockingly rare, shockingly rare. And and to be, I think it's so important, isn't it, to be super transparent and almost you've got a responsibility as a senior leader mm -hmm. to say things like, I've, actually, I can't do that because I've got to get back for my child's bedtime, whatever. Yes. The more of that, the more it's normalized. But like, but so often it's, it's, it's hidden or it's not talked about. Yeah. I think it's such a strong, positive um, signal to to younger people as well. I agree. It? I absolutely agree. And we we have no hesitation in doing that at Mechanism. And also, we have the sort of thinkers again, like the freedom on work. We did Joe Biden's strategy for his presidential campaign. We did. Um, a campaign for a brand called MedMen to destigmatize marijuana and kind of detether it from or have a conversation about criminal justice reform and, and wrongful incarceration of people of color. Um, and so 
the sort of work this team and this company is interested in doing is the only sort of work I'm interested in doing in this industry. And that is, again, work that is going to make a mark and say something to people and make people think. Um, but also, you know, while I've been at Mechanism, I've had a lot of really hard personal stuff happen. Like my mom was diagnosed with cancer. I had two miscarriages. I had a really complicated pregnancy with my daughter, Ajna. I had a second pregnancy. So it's Mechanism's almost been through the entire microcosm of my life and really held me in that experience. You know, when I had my um, second miscarriage, I was very open about it. And we changed our bereavement policy to include miscarriage. So we're also, you know, when we hear experiences that our people are going through, we we truly do make an effort to adjust the company around the people. And I just think that's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And there may be some slightly more traditional minded folks listening to this podcast. I won't call them dinosaurs who <laughs> are thinking to themselves, well, if the agency is optimized in that way for people's life, mm -hmm. in my opinion, rightly so, that that's going to have an impact on productivity, right? Yes. It seems reductive, but actually it's good to hear from someone that works at a, a business that has made these changes and mm -hmm. is making it work. So what would you say to that? I would say people who are happy and healthy are the most productive people. Um, hands down. I don't, I don't think there's any debate in that because we've all been in advertising when it has like worn us into the ground. And I'm not saying I'm not currently worn into the ground. I totally am, but it's for multiple reasons. Work is just one part. Um, but when people are happy and healthy and content in their jobs and see a trajectory for themselves and are able to call their boss and say, I'm feeling really depressed today. I need a day. Then when they come back, they feel like this company is is worth it to me because they take care of me and I feel like I want to help take care of it. And that's another part, you know, at Mechanism, we have this value of entrepreneurial spirit. And I think when everyone feels like they are part of something and the something they are part of is, again, kind of holding them and supporting them and looking after their needs and their dreams and their desires, it, it becomes a more mutual relationship. I think a lot of other companies take, take, take from their employees without giving very little back. Um and I think we've we've found a way to balance the equation very well. Yeah, that's exactly the, the term I had in my head, mm -hmm. balancing of the equation. Yeah. To get specific, just mm -hmm. for a, a moment, um, pitching. Yes. How do you approach a pitch now versus when you were 10 years ago um, yeah. at an agency? Because that's the thing that inevitably and still kind of leads to those late nights or yes. very long weekends. How do you guys tackle that? And are there guardrails in place? Or is that when you go, actually, no, this is where we're going to have to just give. So to tell us kind of how that works on the ground. 
I, this is, that's when we have to give. Definitely. Like we had a big meeting on Monday. We were talking Sunday night. Um, but I will say then coming out of those stretches, we take it easy. And so we're very conscious of pacing and, um, again, kind of balancing workload. And so, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility. And we do this, we've done this before where we're like, it's been a fucking grind. Everybody take Monday off. Like we're going to close the company on Monday or this team. It's been a fucking grind. We've been going and going and going on this pitch. So please find a day next week that works for you to take off. Um, and so we're very, I think we're, we have a consciousness and we're very conscientious about, um, when people are rubber hits the roading a little too much and really create the space for them to ease up. I sometimes wonder if with the pitching thing, you know, that there's a lot of, obviously there's, and, and perhaps rightly, a lot of moaning about the process and the free ideas that you're giving away. I'm oh, guessing yeah. as a strategist, you particularly feel that one. Um, yes. But also, is there something in that creatives are inherently, mm -hmm. they, they do, part of them enjoys this roller coaster of deadlines and, um, you know, having to work under pressure. I, it was just something I read that was quite interesting around the sort of psychology of of how we prefer to work. And there is an argument that the these sort of horrible, horrible, in inverted commas, deadlines mm -hmm. are actually quite help creatives to flourish. I'd love to get your view on that. I think it depends on the sort of person you are. And that's really interesting because maybe advertising does sort of attract those people. I have not met a single person in advertising who is not a, a procrastinator in that they do well when they have a deadline. They do like everything comes together at the nth hour every time, right? Every single time. There's an or isn't there? I can't, I can't remember the name of it, which is we will always take the maximum amount of time allotted to deliver something, no matter whether it's big or, or small. Exactly. We'll expand and then deliver. Yeah, and I in think, most cases anyway. Yeah, and I think sometimes that expansion actually creates a lot of swirl. Like there is something to be said, and I'm thinking about this a lot in my writing too about brevity and getting to the point. And I think if you have a three month pitch process, there is so much meandering that can happen. And I think what shortened timelines cultivate in us is a sense of trusting our instincts. Um, and I would say, you know, especially in leadership, I have learned that my instinct, my instinctual response to something is usually the right one. And if I have too much time, I'll, I'll think myself out of it and I'll rationalize myself out of it because we're taught to think with our heads and not with the rest of us. But to me, the shortened timelines are really about cultivating that instinct. And so I think eventually what happens is those timelines aren't as scary because you're like, well, we'll just get to whatever we get to and see what happens and trust that we'll get somewhere interesting and we'll work well together as a team. Um, and I think sometimes we also forget clients are human 
you know, like I, I, I'm like a, a stickler and a bit of a perfectionist, which I'm working on. I hate when there's typos and decks and grammatical errors and things misaligned, but nobody cares, you know? Yes, if you have typos on every, you know, 10 slides, please have a proofreader come in and, and help you. But little mistakes are human. A, a pitch and a, you know, a good piece of business is one on chemistry, discussion, how well you collaborate, how well you build on your ideas. And, you know, we've won pitches and they're like, you know, this idea wasn't the strongest, but the way that we worked together to build it into something is exactly what we're looking for. And so I'm I'm excited to see whether that becomes more of the um the mode of operation in our industry than just like a cattle call to 50 agencies mm -hmm. and just reading those decks and making decisions based on that. That I think is an extremely broken process when it comes to pitching. When we'd like to take a quick moment to thank one of our sponsors. Massive Music is a global music agency and partner for some of the world's leading brands and agencies. With 10 offices worldwide and over two decades of expertise, they deliver everything you need in the field of music, voice and sound, from sonic branding and activations to music for commercials and licensing. Just to name a few, Massive Music works with clients such as Heineken, Nike, The North Face, Philips and Colgate. They also provided the music for this very podcast. On top of being a lovely bunch, they're an official sound partner for brands on TikTok. And since 2021, they're part of Song Trader, the world's largest B2B music company. Their ultimate goal is to combine musical craft with strategy to elevate your project or campaign through the power of music in sound, which, if you ask us, is oh so needed in the advertising world of today. If you're interested, send an email to lovehatecreate at massivemusic.com so they know you came through us. Needless to say, they're all ears. Let's move on to what you hate in this industry. Oh, I mean, I feel like we've touched on the, the big themes, you know, the work culture of advertising is that double-edged sword you know on one hand we have these deep friendships and this provocative culture shifting thinking and and progress as kind of the north star but i don't know why there is this do or die mentality in everything we do it, it, there's a do or die mentality whether we're working on banners that need to be delivered or whether we are, you know, repositioning a brand like Quaker, which is like an iconic American brand, or whether we are talking about breastfeeding, like everything is just shrouded in the sense of urgency at all costs. And that to me is hugely problematic because the ripple effect of that then is work is work over everything else. Work needs to be prioritized over everything else. And I think a lot of us who have been in the industry have deprogramming we need to do around this. Because there have been times I've canceled my own doctor's appointments to make a meeting. And then I'm sitting there in the meeting and I'm like, what is wrong with me? Why am I here? 
like, why am I here? And, you know, in leadership, especially, it's very hard, right? Because certain decisions can't be made without you. You know, the teams are working, but then without your feedback and your check-in, they're going to keep working. And then you're going to come in at the, at the last minute and be like, eh, what about this? And their heads are going to explode. So there's this fine balance between um, prioritizing yourself and, and really understanding and respecting other people's time that this industry has not figured out. And Charlotte, to your point, I the pitch process is a mess. It's truly a mess. And that to me, I hate the pitch process. I love pitching because I love thinking with like, you know, you cut the shit and you just think and you come up with something and you build. And again, it's very instinctual and that's so fun. Um, but how it works on the flip side with procurement and again, these cattle calls, it's very difficult for small agencies to stomach all of that. Yeah. We're very insecure as an industry, aren't we? We are very insecure. I feel like that's probably one of the drivers of this sense of urgency that we constantly feel, always forgetting that, as you said earlier, clients are humans too, and they have lives and families and other commitments. And actually, great client relationships are about kind of testing each other and questioning each other and building trust. And we fail so often at the very basic aspect of, well, does this really need to be on that day? Because we've got a whole other stuff, a load of exactly. other stuff that our staff are working on. Ask the question, and nine times out of ten, in my experience, yeah. the client says, "Oh yeah, actually, that was just the first day that I saw free in the calendar. <laughs> the following week is fine." Something right. along those lines. Right. And I don't know where that insecurity comes from. But I, is it's it also a, something an that drives. Level. Yeah, yeah. It's I think it's collectively and an, at an individual level that's kind of seeped into the leaders of of our industry, mm. because. It could also be the reason why we're also chasing the shiny new object as an industry as well. Yeah. Maybe. And also, as someone said in one of our previous podcasts, you're only ever really three calls away from going bust, right? Off quite often. If you're a small agency. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have not felt that. that too much. Have you? Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Less so at Mechanism, but at previous places in my career. Like I would be on the phone by myself pitching a piece of business and knowing if we didn't close it, we were in trouble. And oof, that pressure. I don't miss that. I do not miss that. Three phone calls. That's terrifying. That that gosh, that, that really would definitely terrifying. make you feel insecure. It's also it? a rocket. <laughs> yeah. But yes, it is terrifying. Charlotte, I'm really curious, though, you know, when we were talking about insecurity, you said, is it at the individual level or the community level? Can we talk about that a little? Of course. What do you think? I want to know what you think, because you said it. And when you said individual, I was like, oh, oh, well, no, I just I mean, I'm basing this on. I guess hearsay and mm -hmm. speaking to a lot of creatives over the years mm -hmm. and people saying to me, you know, personally, you know, I'm I'm quite insecure of being a being in a creative industry, you're always putting your worth yes. out there, you're always getting rejected. It's mm. it can be so destabilizing and 
you know, basically this is an industry that is, uh, it, it's an ideas business, right? And yes. ideas are so personal and therefore it's inherently riddled with insecurity and fear and of putting yourself out there and getting rejected. So I don't know whether creatives are inherently insecure or whether this industry sort of, I, I don't know whether it, it, it almost fuels insecurity. Yeah, it's just something that I've picked up on. You mentioned at the beginning, or I think it was when you were talking about your love of the people in the industry, and Bika, that so many in the field have that growth mindset. And when you're always pushing for more career advancement, let's call it, yeah. you're always going to be kind of pushing the boundaries and, and stepping into mm-hmm. the uncomfortable, right? The yes, unknown. Absolutely. And sometimes that works out well, sometimes it doesn't, I think, for people that aren't your typical advertising person of the last few decades probably have what is dubbed as imposter syndrome more yes. than more than others because they feel like maybe they don't deserve to be there. So I guess that is a pretty big root of insecurity as well. If we're always going to be pushing for bigger, better, more and advancement, then we're always going to feel like we're out of our depth to a degree. And if you don't, then you're obviously very smart and lucky. Yeah. Or not learning. <laughs> or not learning. Not learning. Or just, what is it, the Dunning-Kruger effect? You just don't realise you're an idiot. Oh, man. That is so interesting and so spot on. Like, we are just in the business of constantly putting our thoughts and creativity on the line. And gosh, how many times have we all, like, you know, gone rounds and rounds with this idea that we are in love with and we truly believe in. And then all of a sudden, you know, right before you're about to go into production, they're like, oh, actually, yeah, we're not going to do this anymore. (laughs) And so you almost you have to become this very hardened version of yourself. Um, Yeah, I don't know what to make of that, but but you really do. Right. You have to just accept failure and almost stop wearing your heart on your sleeve and i think that's a bit of a thick skin yeah Yeah. develop a thick skin i think most people in advertising have a very thick skin by the end of it by sure yes by the end (laughs) by the end we're all like bring it on whatever like yep i can i can handle it but then you know i think the there's so much really interesting kind of psychological stuff at play here, right? As we just, we digest the failure, we move on. We digest the failure, we move on. But are we really processing anything? And I and I do wonder, you know, I feel like 90% of this industry is just jaded as hell. And everyone's just kind of like, eh, I'm here. I'm We're doing my job. We're definitely going to have to unpack this when Charlotte starts her Esther Perel, Esther Perel of Advertising podcast. Oh, yeah. I because I think we've definitely first guest <laughs> uh, stumbled on something here that could could really be dissected. I'm cheering silently. I think it's so fascinating. Moving on to the th- third question, mm-hmm. then what would you create? What what sort of change would you bring about in order to make sure that the future of this industry is a successful one? 
This has been really, this is a hard question for me because I feel like I am so in it every day and I'm always trying to think about this, but I'm always coming up against a wall because of this kind of how the industry is structured. Um, that being said, there are a few very pressing things that need to change. Parental leave, um, not having, I think, oh, the motherhood penalty, um, really incentivizing people to take breaks. At W&W, &W, we actually wouldn't give people their bonus unless they took the allotted time of PTO. Like, That's incredible. That's radical. Yes, it was radical. And that was a Heidi Hackmer um, uh, idea. And she's really brilliant with that stuff. But yeah, like we were, we made sure people took a break. We made sure rest was incorporated into how we worked. And, you know, there's this incredible, incredible book um, called Rest is Resistance that I'm reading right now. Um, and I truly believe that none of us know how to rest, especially in this industry where it is so fast-paced, it's so cutthroat, it's very competitive, you know, and depending on the agency you're at, um, sometimes that cutthroat competitiveness is internal which is really hard and, and heartbreaking also. Um, but I, I think building rest into it, I think this is kind of extreme, but what if salaried workers got paid overtime? Like, why are we expecting salaried workers who should be billing 40 hours a week to work 50, 55, 60 or more hours a week and not compensating them for that time um yeah I time in lieu right it's it's what you get if you're traveling uh similar to to overtime if you're if you're doing stuff on the weekend then you get that back as a holiday exactly. vacation day or exactly exactly i think just we need to create a way to respect people and their time more in this industry and you know, I think a lot of us have taken a lot of shit. I don't think future generations are going to take this shit. Frankly. I agree. They're already being like, oh, you want me to move? Nope. Sorry. I, I don't want a job that requires me to be in any place. Um, And that's challenging for an industry. It's not even an industry problem. This is this is a corporate problem with yeah. work culture in the United States it's like if you're not in the office if you're not face to face the work doesn't get done as well which I will debate people on because I've done some of the best work of my career during COVID times um, you won't get FaceTime with the executives also false I do like 20 one-on-ones every <laughs> month with anyone you know and so does Jason um you know, I just, I I think we need to build this industry more around people and people's lives. We are in the, we're in the business of ideas, but inherently then in the business of people. 
because we're the ones coming up with the ideas and the best ideas aren't had if you don't have any space. Have you, um, I have not read this book, but it's on my list. Elle Radowski, who is, who does a lot of writing around, um, kind of equalizing roles in marriage and duties across, um, partners, not just marriage. And she wrote a book called Unicorn Space. And if I'm not mistaken, based on one of what one of my friends told me, it's basically about how if you don't have time to not think about work, if you don't have time to like just sit and stew and journal or read or watch shitty TV or play with your kids or go for a walk, you know, life things, you will never get to that unicorn space of being your best, coming up with your best ideas, being your most innovative, kind of inspired self. And I believe that from the bottom of my heart. That's so interesting. Makes a lot of sense that you're just going to be under constant stress, right? Yeah, absolutely. If you're constantly stressed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, you know, I was reading somewhere that two in five female leaders are looking to leave the workplace, which yes. is the highest number it's been since, you know, these surveys began since yes. COVID. Yes. Um, and I was staggered at that because there is an argument, you know, for, for I, some people are saying that actually this home working is putting more of a burden on women as much as we, there was a hope of having flexibility. It now just means more childcare, more ha- whatever it is. It's just yeah. such a rich, nuanced debate isn't it it's it's but that's staggering as you say because if if the pandemic wasn't a correction for the world of work and our industry in particular then like how's that happened how how is that stat that stat when it should have actually been the reverse i know i know We're, we're definitely doing something wrong there well i think what covid did is it exposed a lot of issues but i don't think we have yet come up with the solutions so we all, everyone knows it, this isn't working. I hope. If not, this isn't working, everyone. And, you know, I I don't want to make this about people with children. I think for child-free people as well, you know, this isn't working because they're still having to build their entire lives around work when they probably don't want to anymore. Um. But it's so interesting because when we look at the Great Resignation, air quotes, um, the the majority of the people who are resigning tend to be women. And Charlotte, to your point, we are over-indexing on women leaders leaving the workforce, which is a terrifying um, like movement backwards from where we were getting to, right? You know, and... Still, I think the, oh, what is that? I don't know the exact stats, but still the percentage of, you know, CEOs of Fortune 500 companies who are women is like staggeringly low. Women in the work. Yeah, it's, it's extremely problematic. And if more women leaders leave, then a lot of the progress we've made around more inclusive workplaces, around, um, kind of more emotionally intelligent policies around equity in the workplace, that's all going to devolve too. And so we're actually in a very 
precarious tipping point moment where if we don't figure out how to make work work for women, people of color, parents, people who have mental health um, as a pillar in their life, we are going to lose the nuance and diversity and neurodiversity and magic of this industry. No one wants to hear from a group of, you know, dudes who came up in the 90s and early 2000s of advertising about breastfeeding, for instance. (laughs) (laughs) Or on that note, (laughs) I mean, wow, what an expansive conversation. We could talk about this for hours. I'm going to... um, I'm gonna I'm gonna round us off though with a, with okay. a question that's a um, more future facing. What what do you think, Ambika? Where do you think the industry will be in ten years' time? Where do you hope it will be ten years from now? Oh. And your previous answer is actually really relevant here, because if we don't solve those kinds of challenges, I think that next decade could be quite a negative picture versus if we do and if you think those systemic barriers can be shifted then it might look a lot more positive so Mm -hmm. really interested to get your take i in order for the 10 next 10 years of this industry to be positive we need to be having these conversations now with people who are leading the industry Because if those people aren't open to change, if those people don't have that growth mindset and they're sort of stuck in their ways because they're insecure about the new wave of talent coming in or the, you know, the kids who know everything about Twitch and TikTok and, you know, Discord. I'm aging myself just by saying the kids who know that. Um, You know, if, if we are leading from a place of insecurity and and kind of play staying in this stagnant space of like, I'm going to do it the way it's been done before because it's worked. We're never going to progress. And I think, again, if we want to change this industry, we need to have these conversations. We need more diversity at the leadership level. Like I will write that on my gravestone because right now everybody's like diverse leadership, diverse leadership. That is a pipe dream. Because we haven't created the pathways for people of color to succeed. If I'm going into work every day and having to code switch, if I'm going into work every day or Zoom every day and feeling microaggressions, I'm not going to want to stick around long enough to become a leader at this place. So right now, diverse leadership is something we are not on track to achieve. And if we don't achieve it, this industry will become irrelevant. Um, brands will continue to build in-house agencies, which is has been happening for many years and kind of it very much ebbs and flows. Um, small, teeny, teeny specialized shops will start to take off. Um, and, you know, shops like the ones we've all heard of and the big names in the industry will continue to falter unless they really figure out a new way of working and a, and a way of diversifying the decision-making at their company. Well, wow. Cool good. to arms. 
let's go. Yeah, let's yeah, and it. good on yourself and the other leadership folks at Mechanism for leading the charge, really, because it sounds like there's a great environment that you're quite clearly doing really well in, thriving in, surviving in. So hopefully that's a, a, a path that other agencies will follow. Well, I think we can all have a discussion on how to figure it out together because I would not say we're perfect, um, but at least we are aware of our shortcomings and we're humble about our shortcomings and we're always looking to learn how to improve. Right, well, this 47, 48 minutes has done just that. So thank you very much. We are really glad to have had you join us on Love, Hate, Create and uh, take care and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you so much.